Welcome to Dodgers Homestand, your behind-the-scenes look at what makes the Dodgers Stadium experience so special for baseball fans and ball players alike. A unique perspective on Dodgers baseball from someone who's there for every home game and who has one of the best seats in the house. And now, your host, the public address announcer for the Los Angeles Dodgers, the voice of God in blue heaven on earth, Todd Lights. Hey, thanks for stopping by the PA booth here at beautiful Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, California, where the Los Angeles Dodgers have just completed a three-game sweep of the Oakland Athletics with an 8-2 victory before a crowd of 52,624 here at Dodger Stadium. That's a sellout, the 14th sellout of the 2023 season in a game that ran just under two and a half hours Sunny and clear, beautiful day today, 75 degrees at game time, and the Dodgers were ready. It was Hello Kitty night here at Dodger Stadium, and the iconic plush toy, I guess you'd call her, very popular, really brought out the fans tonight. On a Thursday night game against the lowly Oakland Athletics, somehow Hello Kitty brought out the crowd to come watch the Dodgers beat up on a team that they should beat up on. And it's a game that the Dodgers should have won, and they took care of business to maintain their two-and-a-half game lead over the San Francisco Giants in the National League West. They're six-and-a-half games in front of the Arizona Diamondbacks, nine games in front of San Diego, and, well, Colorado Rockies, well, they're down there at 42-66 and 66 on the season, and 20-and-a-half games back and pretty much done. But the Dodgers head down to San Diego for a four-game series and then head to Arizona for a three-game series to wrap up their seven-game road trip. So two important series against National League West rivals. And the Dodgers really need to take care of business in those series. Maybe they can deliver the knockout blow to the San Diego Padres. We'll see how that goes. Pitching seems to be lined up, and the Dodgers are definitely on the upswing. They were able to salvage this nine-game homestand, ending it up with five wins and four losses. They did lose two straight series to the Toronto Blue Jays and then the Cincinnati Reds, but they were able to uh, sweep the Oakland Athletics to kind of salvage this homestand. Julio Urias came back on a couple extra days rest, got the win. He pitched five innings, only gave up three hits, no runs, walked one batter and struck out five, threw 68 pitches, 44 of which were strikes. And then Emmett Sheehan, the rookie, came in in relief. He got the save. That was his first relief appearance in his Major League Baseball career, and he did really well. Miguel Rojas had a good night at the plate, delivering RBI doubles in the second and third innings. Mookie Betts stayed hot. He extended his hitting streak to 10 games and his on-base streak to 19 games. Steady Freddy had another great night with two doubles and a home run and five at-bats. He was something like... 12 out of 17 in this series, so he was just scorching the ball. And he also made a great defensive play, an over-the-shoulder catch out in short right field on a pop fly and foul ground. He's just an amazing ball player, and if it wasn't for the amazing season that the Braves' Ronald Acuna Jr. is having, you'd have to say he'd be the front-runner for MVP once again. The Dodgers only scored a couple runs in the first few innings, but they really exploded for four in the sixth and then they tacked on another two runs in the eighth inning and so they beat the A's eight to two here at Dodger Stadium. 
One bad note for the Dodgers, Max Muncie left the game with a left wrist contusion after he was hit by a pitch in the middle of the game, and he was taken out of the game. But I heard from Dave Roberts that x-rays were negative, and so that's, that's a little glimmer of good news. Uh, you hate to see one of your players hit anywhere on the hand or wrist or fingers or anywhere, and they're listing him as day-to-day. We'll see how he feels when he wakes up in the morning. I'm sure it's going to be sore. So the Dodgers improved their record to 62-45 and 45 with this three-game sweep of the A's. And as I mentioned, they hold on to their two-and-a-half game lead over the Giants in the National League West. It was Hello Kitty night tonight, and uh, Hello Kitty kind of dominated our pregame show. We had a Hello Kitty trivia. Did you know that Hello Kitty's birthday was November 1st? And her full name is Kitty White? She has a twin sister. I didn't know that. Named Mimi. And how tall is Hello Kitty? I'll give you a hint. It's it's in apples. Well, she's five apples tall, for those of you who really care. And who gave Hello Kitty her iconic red bow that she always wears? Well, it was a gift from her mother. And then what's Hello Kitty's favorite treat? Well, it's her mom's apple pie. And isn't that cool? By the way, Hello Kitty is celebrating her 50th anniversary next year. And uh, she was out here to throw out a special ceremonial first pitch. Fittingly to whom? Yes, that's right, Tony Gonsolin, the cat man. We also continued uh, to mark the 35th anniversary of the 1988 Dodgers World Series championship team. And uh, we welcomed two integral members of that team here to throw out an honorary first pitch. The first guy... He's a stunt man. He was a hitting hero with home runs in game one of the 88 series and the deciding game five. And he had the most hits, drove in the most runs of any Dodger during the 1988 World Series, Mickey Hatcher. And what a great personality. Kind of a, a guy that really uh, kept the team loose and laughing. And he's still a great guy to this day. The second guy is a two-time World Series champion with the Dodgers. And as the leadoff man for the Dodgers in the 88 series, he was the starting second baseman. He batted 300 in the Fall Classic and had a hit in each and every game of the 88 World Series. So we welcomed back to Dodger Stadium once again Steve Sachs, and they threw out a first pitch. We had a strong national anthem sung by a recording artist who has a song out called Burning that hit number one on the New Music Weekly Indie Charts. Her name is Farah McKell, and she sang a nice rendition of our national anthem. Our military hero of the game was someone who's been serving our country for many, many years. He was inducted into the U.S. Army back in 1965 during the Vietnam era and was assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division. The 82nd Airborne, they called him the All-Americans. That's why they have that AA on their shoulder patch. And he was uh, stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and then deployed with the 82nd Airborne to the Dominican Republic in 1965. Later on in his life, he became a California state senator, and he was appointed by then-President Barack Obama in 2012 to the Board of Visitors to the United States Military Academy at West Point in New York State. August 2019, California Governor Gavin Newsom appointed Senator Archuleta to the Governor's Military Council, and today he serves the California State Senate as the chairman of the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs. He's retired U.S. Army Sergeant and California State Senator Bob Archuleta. He's married to his wife, Rose. He has five children, 11 grandchildren, and two of his sons, Brandon and Matthew, currently serve active duty with the U.S. Army. So the Dodgers thanked Senator 
Bob Archuleta for his service, sacrifice, and dedication to our country, and we trust he had a great time at the ballpark tonight. Somebody who always has a great time at the ballpark is a guy named Jose Moda. You may know him as the one of the sons of the great Manny Moda, the legendary Dodger pinch hitter and one of the legends of Dodger baseball. Well, Jose Moda is now a broadcaster with the Dodgers on the Spanish language broadcast. He basically grew up here at Dodger Stadium. And here's our conversation. I grew up around here. <laughs> these areas and these caves, I know them very well. <laughs> you do. What's your favorite part of Dodger Stadium? Just the uniqueness of it, because if you put Dodger Stadium back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, it still fits. It's still a beautiful ballpark that has transcended pretty much generations, uh, mom and dads, um, you know, grandpas and, and, and grandmas. And then the connection with the city and how close it is. I mean, like downtown LA is beautiful to watch from here. It's elevated. Uh, when you're flying over Dodger Stadium, like landing, you're like, there's Dodger Stadium. It's just like home, you know, it feels like home. And then to work in the booths that we work, I mean, the background is like unmatched. There's nothing they need to do to it. There's nothing urban about it. It's just so natural and, and fits so in organically that uh, it's just you just cannot get that picture out of your mind. So beautiful, so true. And you kind of grew up here. You're, you're the son of the great Manuel Mota, numero once, a wonderful Dodger uh, who we all cherish. And now here you are working as a broadcaster, doing English language, Spanish language. I mean, what was it like growing up as a kid, as Manny's son? You know, I, I see a lot of the kids of the players now. It's almost like a kid's camp out there before games every day. Was it like that for you too? Oh, it was like that and more. I mean, it was like 15 kids here every day. Um, I give credit to, number one, the O'Malley family. And then on top of that, Al Campanis, general manager. And then beyond that, the uniform guy was Tommy Lasorda. They welcomed us. They welcomed us to be part of the structure. I mean, after tough losses, we were not allowed to go in the clubhouse per our fathers. But Tommy, Dusty, Walter Austin, Al Campanis, they were always watching. And they always knew your grades. They asked about your grades. They always knew if you're behaving or not. And they cared about your progress as a, as a person, as a kid, and as a ball player. But we used to just load up in the outfield, man, and just have Reggie Smith Jr., myself, my brother, Andy and Domingo and Gary. And then on top of that, Daryl Thomas Jr., Gene Hooten, Ryan LaFever, Darren Sutton, and just uh, Dan Say, just a plethora of just our, our brothers, you know. And the coolest thing was when we all got together, like, for uh, what we used, it used to be called father and son game, right? Then they changed it to the wife's game. Then they changed the name to the family game. And it took place when the fans were in the stands. So it was like, say, 7 o'clock game. So the family game was at 6 o'clock. And the fans were in the stands. And like we were like enjoying running around and getting dirty with our flannel uniforms. <laughs> but it's so unique because the Dodgers have always um, been a precursor of just family. And there's a reason for that, to keep guys grounded, to keep guys you know, knowing what their place is, keep them humble. But to grow up as a... You know, as, as a son of a Dodger, a legend respected, it's a privilege, it's a blessing, and certainly I, uh, I get to live it now a little bit more because now you, you think back then to go, how did all this started? How did I end up here? And there's no doubt that my heart's always been here. When did you realize that broadcasting was going to be your career going forward? You know, I liked broadcasting when I was um, 
back in the Dominican Republic. I grew up in the Dominican Republic. I was born there, and all through high school, I went to school in the Dominican Republic. And to Spanish, the, obviously, Spanish, your first always, yes. And to this day, I tell people I would never change or trade my upbringing in education in the DR because we were structured and instructed by very tough um, Jesuits. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you that when they said homework is due tomorrow, they're not asking you the next day. It's like, where is it? And if you didn't have it, guess what? I'm going to call mom and dad or you're going to be expelled for that day until you bring it. So I would never trade that. Plus, you know, the, the, the academic level was such a, such a high level and expectations that um, it, it challenged you a lot. Beyond that, the academic side was uh, then the behavioral side on respectful and the way you dress and your uniform, make sure everything is clear and cut to where you'll be admitted to school, the way you treated your friends and how you behaved in the, in the yard, in the play yard, they're in recess, and how you treated the young ladies. All that mattered, you know, in an upbringing. And I'll, I'll treasure that forever. But I knew that I want to be a broadcaster, and I, I know I kind of went off the rails a little bit, but when I used to listen to my dad, my dad would do games as an invited guest for one of the Dominican um, channels and networks. And then I would sit, my dad would travel to, say, if the Dodgers were on the playoffs, the Dodgers were out, my dad would be invited to do a series in Houston, Cincinnati, and I would listen to him on the radio, and I'm like captivated, like, Mom, that's like Dad right there on the radio, right? And he encouraged us, me and my brother Andy mainly, because he would buy these cassette players where he would record interviews. My dad was very active, even as a player, in helping Jaime and Rui Hoyos back then, um, and Renee in collecting interviews from the players. Mm-hmm. So he would buy, about every other year, he'd buy a new cassette player, and he'd give it to me and Andy when he got rid of the old ones. Yeah. And it was like me and Andy like, oh, yeah. So we would just call the games in the backyard in the Dominican. We had a big backyard, played games every single day, and listened to my dad going, you know what, that's kind of cool. So I always knew I wanted to be a ball player. That was number one. My parents always dangled on me that uh, you need an education first. Obviously, sometimes I was a little hard-headed about it, thinking, like, no, no, my dad's playing the big leagues. I'm going to do the same thing. My mom's like, son, if you know how hard this is. Mm-hmm. And she grounded it in me, and, and uh, so did my dad. About you know, I, He always said, I'm very lucky. I don't know if – my dad, you actually live with this mentality in my mind too. Each year after the season, they're like, we don't know if the Dodgers want him back. And to hear that was crushing. Like, what? What do you mean? Yeah. But it was reality. You got there, but you got to stay there. Yeah, and yeah, it was that's like. guarantee. Yeah, and they're like, you know, he's a pinch hitter. He's a, he's a backup outfielder. There's no guarantees. And to us, it was like, what do you mean? Life just doesn't stop that way, right? So they kept pretty grounded with that. Mm. But when I really believed that I could do this was when I – started playing professional baseball even during college I would say that I would watch broadcastings I watch a lot of broadcasts I grew up with Jaime and Vinny in this booth I mean I would be I was I was up here when I was six or seven years old so we would work out take a shower come up get our hot dogs and our sodas and sit with my mom for like three or four innings and then come up to the booth and sit for another three or four innings and it was encouraging to listen to that to watch Vinny I mean Jack Buck and and Tony Kubiak, when they came by here, and Joe Garagiola, I got to spend time with those guys. I mean, it was so, so special. Uh, Harry Carey. We were the Little Motors. That's where we were. Hey, Little Motors, come in, come in, put the headphones on, you know. Um, I got to count down Vinny sometimes on the commercials. So he, he, I, was, I was trained by the engineer, uh, producer, Mr. Johnson, go, hey, all you got to do is say, in five, 
<laughs> so here I am, like seven years old, like, aim five. <laughs> it was so cool. Um, once I went to college at Cal State Fullerton, I'm like, okay, I want to do this. And if my career is not long enough, I want to have, I need something to fall back on. And uh, I specialize in communications, radio, TV, and film. And I've been quite fortunate that I lived all of them so far. So you worked for the Angels for quite some time, did some great work for the Angels. How does it feel getting to this club, you know, after growing up here? It was kind of funny to be with the Angels, um, to be that close, because I always kept an eye on what the Dodgers were doing, obviously. And people were like, you still follow the Dodgers? I'm like, yep, my dad works there. It's like you're not following IBM or, you know, or Coca-Cola or Johnson & Johnson. If your dad works there, you want your company to do right, good, right? I'm like, same thing. I want the Dodgers to do good because my dad works there, right? Um, not because I want him to beat the Angels, obviously, in the interleague. It was like, oh, we're going to go all on, man. It's all red, <laughs> you know. But um, I, I was very blessed to uh, have been around great people. When Disney hired me back in 2002, I ran into a World Series championship, right? I that didn't play, but we call it. it. The Angels have been to one World Series, and that was it, 2002, yeah. our, my first year. And I lived the best run the organization has had. Meaning, with Mike Socia at the helm, it was the best run they've ever had in, in their li- in their lifetime. And I'll never forget that Spezio home run. No, I mean, oh you know, in, in 2002 was the winning season. 2003 was very challenging. But then from 04 on, it was like, you just knew the Angels were going to be in the playoffs. The way Socia ran that team, uh, Bill Stolman, when Artie Moreno brought in, started bringing in some players and got the TV contract. And Artie always said, I got a TV contract. You're going to see some big names come in here. And he did it. And he did it. Um, but I was blessed enough to be around Mr. Tim Mead, Vice President of Communications mm-hmm. back then. And when, he got, when I got into the Spanish radio in 2002, we had a conversation where Tim goes, uh, I know you're coming in the Spanish radio, but we need to set your sights on more than that. And I'm like, Tim, I'm, I am coming here because I think this is just a way to get in to project and elevate and be challenged by the Spanish booth. But beyond that, I cannot stop myself because I want to serve both audiences. And at one point, some people were like, that's, that's not, never, nobody's, ever been, you know, nobody's ever done that. And I just said, I, I just need that challenge. And there it is. I mean, I did Spanish radio. I did play-by-play. I was an analyst. So I was a reporter. I did features. So everything in Spanish and in English and I think uh, I was surrounded by people that believed in me and gave me the chance and challenged me and made me better. And also by the players. You know, the players make you better because you, you, you establish a friendship with them and you get to know the personalities. Thus, your product is better because of them because now you get to know them better. And what you're projecting to the audience is what you know from them that can be said, right? I mean, some things obviously are very private, but uh, I lived a great run with the Angels, and uh, I'm quite proud of the opportunities that came with that to do national stuff and do international stuff. And uh, there's more to do. There's more to do. Oh, yeah. We need, we need to celebrate a World Series championship on this field and have our parade that the Dodgers deserve. They've deserved it for years. And, boy, that's, that's the one thing that I'm, I'm really waiting for. I, I love to see that. You know, beyond that, I'm going to say that Angels fans embraced me in such a way that I never expected. And it didn't really hit me until I left the Angels and I started getting messages from fans. And it, it made me tear up. Um, little boys, little girls, moms and dads. And I'm like, how did I come across having an impact like that? 
And I sometimes I ask my ask my wife like, I'm walking around the stadium. And at Angel Stadium, and I, I go, little kids come to me. I go, I'm doing pre and post game talking about baseball. And my wife's like, because you come across like they can relate to you. I'm like, okay, I mean, that's a blessing from God, obviously. But I never forget those moments when little kids will come and say, Jose Moda. I'm like, really? <laughs> How do you know who I am, right? Not just because you're on TV, but Jose, like, feel comfortable talking to you. That's what I mean, right? Yeah. And, and that's truly very special to me. Well, there's and, something, and, there's a warmth. It's, it's the same with your dad. There's a warmth about you. There's a approachability. There's just a, a friendliness that, you know, you, that, and, that draws people. And I think I learned, obviously, from being around tremendous people here with the Dodgers to begin with mm-hmm. and how to treat people right. And guys how like to, Vinny, guys like Jaime. Exactly. That you know, got to be humble. you got to know that uh, you're replaceable. We're all replaceable in this mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kept me grounded, too. But I, I, and then the, the, the funny thing, thing, too, was when I was with the Angels, I ran to so many Dodgers fans going, hey, so when are you coming over? <laughs> <laughs> I always got that. And my dad said sometimes he'd be signing autographs somewhere or in the stadium and some site, some venue. And he goes, I get more people asking me, not about how I'm doing, but when's Jose coming to the Dodgers? <laughs> 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 and I always took that as, you know, that's, People complimenting my work, obviously, uh, that's pretty special. But um, I always said that wherever I'm working, that's where I'm at, where my focus is. And I always say there's always another step to take, another level to take. And the Dodgers fans throughout our lives to the Motor family have been just tremendous. And now to live it as a broadcaster, oh, my God, just walk around the ballpark. Anywhere I go, around the world that I go, and people are like, you know the Angels anymore, but you the Dodgers, that's right. You know, So it, it's pretty cool. Well, it's, it's like you've got both of those organizations, both great Southern California organizations, and tonight we have a really cool uh, event happening. It's it's a Saturday night. The trade deadline is approaching, but tonight is Oral Hershiser's night. He's going to be inducted into the Legends of Dodger Baseball, and very deserving guy. What a wonderful guy. You got any thoughts on, on that ceremony and and any reaction to uh, Oral becoming a legend? Yeah, of course. I mean, I met Oral when I was 15 years old. I was in the Dominican, and he came to play for my dad. And he would come to our house, and we hung around the hotel and the pool and this and that. So we were, like, hosting him pretty much and the rest of the Dodger guys that were there. And I recall my dad in communication with Al Campanis. He was managing the team in Licey in the capital. And my dad saying to Campanis, Al, I know that he's a reliever. This guy needs to be a starting pitcher. So let's use Winterball to convert him into a starter. And the story is there. I mean, but Oral has been the same guy with me and with the family throughout his whole life. It's just a thrill to be part of the team as a broadcasting team with marvelous people. But he being there, Mo being there. But tonight, I, I we've had this conversation with Oral. In fact, I texted him this morning because I'm like, we lived with, with my dad back in April. And he was such a special part of that. And he had been making comments like, man, I, I don't know how you kept it together, man. But to be emceeing your dad's ceremony, I'm like, this morning I said, just just to a just absorb it, enjoy it, you deserve it. But you know what? Just take your time and, and just look around the stadium to know how many people love you and the impact you've had mm-hmm. on somebody that was not drafted high, somebody that at one point was going to quit baseball, and somebody that's really embraced what it is really to be a Dodger and who has challenged so many more teammates. He's made a lot of teammates better, and teammates have made him better because Oro has always been open to suggestions and and being better. But certainly that heart of a bulldog, you cannot replace because he's a winner. 
and he's a fantastic broadcaster too. I yes. mean, I, you break down pitching and and baseball like I I've never I've never heard, and and hearing him on the air with his analysis and the way he talks about pitching, it's just so impressive to me. Um, what I do is it has a very limited, you know, a limited spectrum of what I'm allowed to do in the PA booth. But what we, what you guys do and your knowledge of baseball, it just shines through, um, and just makes it a joy to uh, to listen because I learn something from you guys every time I hear the broadcast or I hear you come on with David Vasse on Dodger Talk. It's just a joy, and I really appreciate you taking some time to talk to me today. And I know my listeners are going to love my interview with Jose Mona. So thank you very much. I've been following your podcast. I'm like, I know I'm going to make it someday. I'm going to go out there and tell some stories. And Is there any story that I haven't asked you about you want to tell? <laughs> There's way more. In fact, I met my wife here at Dodger Stadium. Oh, that's a good one. I've been married for 35 years. Me too. And uh, I met her here in, like, Loge, 106, around there, 1984. And th- thankfully, uh, we got, you know, two kids, um, two grandkids, and way more to say about Dodger Stadium, and that's why it's even a more special place to me. So that's the great Jose Moda speaking to me in the Vin Scully press box during this homestand. Really enjoyed talking to him. I will be talking to him again later this season, perhaps, because he has so many wonderful stories about growing up here at Dodger Stadium, and I hope to pass those on to you right here on Dodger's homestand. The Dodgers head off. They hit the road, heading down to San Diego, heading down Highway 5 to San Diego to take on the division rival San Diego Padres, who are nine games out of first place at this point, but they still think they have a chance. And let's see if the Dodgers can uh, deliver some kind of a knockout blow down in San Diego during that four-game series. And then they head over to the desert and take on the Snakes of Arizona in a three-game series before heading back to Dodger Stadium for a 10-game homestand that starts on August the 10th. So you better make your plans to be with us because one of the highlights of that 10-game homestand is going to be Fernando Mania Weekend. We're going to induct the great Fernando Valenzuela into the Dodgers Legends of Dodger Baseball. Um, and uh, there's going to be a World Series ring uh, for from Fernando's 1988 World Series victory. And that's uh, coming up on August 11th through the 13th. Get your tickets at dodgers.com slash tickets. So that'll wrap up the homestand for me here on Dodgers Homestand. I appreciate you listening. I'm your host, Todd Lights, and we'll see you at the ballpark. Dodgers Homestand. Dodgers Homestand. Dodgers Homestand. Dodgers homestand. Thank you for listening to Dodgers Homestand with stadium announcer Todd Lights, taking you behind the scenes at Chavez Ravine and giving you a bird's eye view of Dodgers baseball both on and off the field. Join us for our next episode, and if you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts.